Hello and welcome to Common Rider AA, a podcast where I, Adam, one of your co-hosts, is bummed out as fuck because A, Kentaro Mira just passed away. Rest in peace. And B, because I had to endure this god-awful arc of Common Rider Kiva. So how have you been? Uh, pretty good. Uh, visited family in Mexico. Uh, that was pretty good. We quarantined and all that jazz. Uh, it was beautiful there. Uh, figured out I'm in the one part of the family that's not the 1%, so that's always fun. Well, other than that, I guess we can get... God, I'm so bummed. Yeah, w- uh. w- welcome to the NCIS, uh, past, uh, cast. It's the NCIS past cast. Indeed. Where we only cover episodes of NCIS that are over 10 years old. Isn't that all of them? I, it's, it's still airing. What? No, you're, that has to be a lie. No, the show's still... New holy, episodes are still premiering. Holy shitballs, it's still airing. The New Orleans one, I think, had its season finale not too long ago, but I don't know. All I know about it is from the trailers I see on TV. I don't actually watch it. Okay, it's already been renewed for a 19th season. Uh... Hold up, let's go down to franchise. Okay. Uh, there was a, almost a Hawaii spinoff, but then it didn't take off. Oh, oh, shit. Shit balls. Holy crap. No, no, it did take off. I, I read this as 2016. No, 2021. It's, uh, yeah, there's going to be an NCIS Hawaii. Uh, it was given straight to series, so we don't have to worry about a uh, pilot doing well. And it's going to include the franchise's first female lead character. Oh, who would have thunk? Uh, let's see. Uh, NCS Los Angeles, uh, still running. Uh, NCS New Orleans, yeah, did have the series finale. Or is going to have the series finale in three days. Hold, hold up. Adam, do you want to release a special episode for the NCS New Orleans season series finale? Hell no. Uh, dick bag. I can't believe I, NCIS super fan. Uh, hi, I'm Anna, your NCIS guru. I can't believe that the NCIS guru did not know that NCIS was still running after 14 years. Hold up, how long? How long was Supernatural running? God, it since I was in middle school, I think. Uh, yeah. It, oh, it was 2005 to 2020, so 15. God damn. Like, I think of Supernatural as a TV show that should have ended in, like, season two. No, it should have ended at season five. Yeah, personally, like, in season two, like, I stopped liking it. I was like, oh, this is just bad. <laughs> I, I've i gone on record and I will continue to go on record as saying that Supernatural had the perfect conclusion at the end of season five. Like, it was the perfect bittersweet ending. So welcome to the Common Rider podcast. Today we covered Kiva episode 27, 80s, Angry Rising Blue, and episode 28 of Kiva, Request, Time-Altering Battle. I.e. Adam's favorite episodes. I hated this. But who wrote it so I know where to direct my hatred toward? Was it Inoue? Uh, yes, it was Toshiki Inoue who wrote this and was directed by... Takeo Nagaishi. And I'm pretty sure this is the first one he's done this season. Uh, no, no, he, he's done a few. He did 
Resurrection, Checkmate 4, Rhapsody, The Fate of the Ring, uh, those two parters. So, we kick off episode 27 with Kisuke doing weightlifting while Megami spots him in the Shima gym. Shima comes walking up and tosses Keisuke an upgraded Iksa knuckle while basically anointing Keisuke as being worthy of rising Iksa. Cut to Wataru's workshop and we see our soft boy's muscles are just as tender as his heart. Wataru does a few push-ups as Kivat asks him what the deal is. Wataru tells him that he intends to make good on the promise he made to Mio to grow stronger. Even in episodes that you might not find as enjoyable, you have to admit, Wataru Miyu stuff is always good. I do agree with that, yeah. I like their relationship, they are very cute. After the OP, we cut to Megami as she's preparing to chow down in her favorite restaurant. Before she can start, however, she gets arrested by a trio of police officers who say that she committed robbery. They then take her to the big house with with one of her bowls full of rice and still in her hand or something. Probably had fish in it too. Megami's actress like does the what what so well, and like this episode she has a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. We then cut to jail where Megami is talking to Shima and Keisuke about her presumed crime. Megami denies having committed any robbery. She asks Keisuke to consider, to seriously consider that she's telling the truth. Keisuke says that he needs to think it over. It's been a few days since I saw this episode, but didn't Keisuke, like, at the beginning say something like, use this time in prison to resolve your soul of your sins or something like that? Basically saying, I'm 99% sure you did this shit. No, I think, I think he said that he would have preferred to have been the one to capture her. I remember it was something where he just straight up goes, "Oh yeah, it's definitely true that you did this. Cr- that you did this crime." I just wish I was the case. Case so good. I mean, he sucks, but he's so good. He's so bad. He's good. If only he had the tender love that can you know make anyone good again. If only he had a play. God damn it. We next cut to Shima being arrested for murder. Right out of his sacred gym, no less. We move over to the same prison. There, Shima is talking to Keisuke about this problem that the BSO has somehow landed in, with its members being arrested left and right. Shima suggests to Keisuke that there may be a conspiracy at play. Keisuke, having not been arrested, then offers to investigate whatever seems to be going on. It's honestly wild that Keisuke hasn't been arrested. Not not even as part of the conspiracy, but just in general as a human being. (laughs) Just like somebody seeing him on the street and being, that man should be arrested. I don't know why, but he should. And the cops come and arrest him because they can, Mm -hmm. you know, tell the vibe. Yeah, that man seems like he puts his penis into piles of buttons. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We can't have that sort of... That sort of impropriety here in Japan. Later, Keisuke is talking to Kengo. Big K tells Little K that, that since the BSO is now shorthanded, he'll need help in investigating. Their conversation gets interrupted by a scream coming from some nearby reeds. They rush to the scene and see a woman being attacked by the crab fangire. Uh, excuse me, he has a name. The decoy that imitated a sternum and a dictionary. A sternum of all things? 
Yep, this bitch imitated a sternum and a dictionary. <sighs> Keisuke henshins into Iksa while Kengo takes the woman to safety. Iksa and the Fengai scuffle before Iksa activates the new power-up he got. Rising form. Rising. I can never get the cadence right, but it's just such a good... Rising. Rising. I can't do it. I, I don't know why. Rising. You don't speak robot, whereas yeah. I'm fluent. I mean, it was your first language. We get a new form for Common Rider Iksa, who puts this power-up to good use by producing a gun and shooting the crab into a close-by river. <laughs> we know, and the audience know. Like, everyone knows that he didn't pull out, like, a Glock or a revolver. But, like, now I'm just imagining his power-up, you know, his armor chainsaw badass, and he just pulls out a real gun and just goes, and then I started blasting. I mean, it's in-universe, it's a real gun. Yeah, but it's like a laser gun, you know, but, but like... I think it uses ballistics most of the time. I'm, I'm particularly giggly today for some reason. Well, that's fine. You have, you, you sucked the happiness out of me because I had to watch this. And But yeah, however, the recoil proves to be too powerful and Keisuke gets thrown back and dehenshined. Having been floored by both the physical power and the awe of Ixa's new form... Kisuke tries to go to pick up the Iksa knuckle. To his dismay, it gets picked up by the police officer who arrested Shima and Megami, who then tries arresting Kisuke for robbery. Kisuke manages to fend off the officers. Yeah, uh, it's just fending, fighting off the police is just a normal Tuesday night for Kisuke Nago. Indeed. He runs to a stranger's car, sorted carjacks him? And he tells the man in the driver's seat to go, and the, the man complies. Wait, I I think my brain just assumed this was a taxi. No, it wasn't a taxi. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I just saw... I, I, I just saw... I thought, he, I thought all he did was just, like, rip a guy out of a taxi. <laughs> no. My, my brain automatically just whitewashed Keisuke's actions. <laughs> but, yeah, they drive away from the cops, and... The man in the driver's seat cryptically tells Keisuke that he will take him to a place where the past and present converge. He then calls Keisuke by his name, and Keisuke then demands to know who this man is, but he only responds by saying that he knows everything about the BSO. How did he know that? Like, I, th I think that's why I thought it was a taxi, because how would this guy know that Keisuke would zero in on his car and jack that one and, like, not jack it from the driver's seat? Like, I, I think that's why I was like, well, well, no, I mean, of course it has to be a taxi because that's why Keisuke went in because he wouldn't just jack a normal dude's car. Uh, apparently this guy, like, knew exactly what car Keisuke would jack if he was pushed in this direction, which wouldn't have been the plan because he wanted Keisuke arrested? Question mark? It's weird. <laughs> They drive to an old atelier where the stranger, whose name is Tanahashi, shows Keisuke an incomplete portrait of none other than Maya. Uh, it's been a while since I've done this. Tanahashi was played by Atushi Ogawa, who uh, basically has just played uh, bit parts here and there. Or, oh, oh shit! I, I'm a fake Kamen Rider fan. This guy was the real. Uh, this guy was the real Soichi Sugami in in uh, in Kamen Rider Agito. He, like he was one of the central characters. Like 
he provides he provided one of the biggest mysteries in Agito. Huh. And uh, he played Masahiko Mina. Oh my god, I why did I not recognize this guy? He uh he plays like a bad guy for like five episodes in Comrider Fies. Uh-huh. Like in a set of episodes that ter- like make the series go from morally gray to a to black and white on the side of killing the humans, basically. Huh. This guy's a this guy's a great actor. Tanahashi tells Keisuke that it was the BSO's fault that his dreams were stolen 22 years prior. I mean, no, not really, but okay, you do you. You do you, Tanahashi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tanahashi elaborates by saying that 22 years ago, he was a painter who was trying to create a masterpiece portrait with Maya as his model. He ended up in the crossfire in a battle between Kamen Rider Ixa and Defangire and was rendered comatose for a year. After that, he never saw his muse again. He then tells Keisuke that the only thing he has lived for for the past two decades has been... I can't believe... Ah. Revenge! It sounds even worse as I read it. Yes, that he's, the only thing he's been living for has been revenge against the BSO. Well, like, imagine you made a deal with a demon that... Yes, I will pose for your art, and you will be the greatest portrait in, in your entire. You will paint an entire life, and then you fall into a coma, and it's like, I guess my deal with the devil's just gone. Why the fuck did I sell my soul then? He didn't lose shit though, just from having Maya's. <sighs> I mean, he lost a year of his life. To be fair, uh, that was the Sakata Spangire's fault. The God damn it! I hate this episode so much. Otoya uh, 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 had a. Uh... I told you I had a bit in, uh, to do with it. Yeah, but why would he direct his hatred for uh, for having his, his dreams stolen to the entire organization that keeps people safe from the Fangires, or at least tries to? I This is the dumbest motivation. I mean, hatred. And you're, he's like high up in the police now. He's doing well for himself. Oh, yeah. In his revenge, he decided to... Get a high-ranking position in... <laughs> he, pretty... he took a career. He, he he went on there an entire career path out of spite. <laughs> Honestly, he probably missed his, call, he missed his calling trying to be a painter. He should have been a police officer from the start. I hate this. But yeah, he's he reveals to Keisuke that he is behind the conspiracy to imprison everyone in the BSO... And having climbed to a position of power in law enforcement, he can now carry out his vengeance. Cut to Wataru's workshop, where Shizuka rushes in to show Wataru a news story about how there is an outstanding warrant for Keisuke Nago's arrest. Right on cue, Keisuke and Kengo come walking in, denying that Keisuke is guilty of any of those charges. Kengo asks Wataru to hide Keisuke, but Shizuka tells him not to, since doing so would make him an accomplice to a wanted criminal. Keisuke tells Wataru that this current situation stems from a mistake that Ix's past wielder made when battling a Fangire. He follows up that sentence by stating that if he could, he would replace the, the past Ixa user. Yeah, replace one fuckboy with another. As Keisuke finishes this, police sirens can be heard outside of Wataru's house. Cut to Keisuke running from the cops. 
He runs into present-day Jiro, of all people, somehow outside of Castle Duran. Jiro tells Keisuke that he'll give him a chance to change the past. Uh, I, I will say this, like, they've been outside of uh, Castle Duran before. Um, like, Jiro's the one that grabbed Watsudu, remember, when he was injured? And then they took him to, took yeah, him to but, Castle... Yeah, but that's because Kiva had summoned him beforehand, right? I guess so, but 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 also when he woke up after uh, Ramon and Ricky were like, "What if we kill him?" And Joe's like, "No, don't don't kill the child." Uh, like they, he and he woke up at home, so Jiro had to have like gone out and take took him there. Yeah, that's true. I was under the impression that they were that the arms monsters were sort of bound to Castle Duran. I I don't know. This is weird and inconsistent and stuff. It's not inconsistent. You, it's, it's not inconsistency if you make an assumption and it turns out to be wrong. Jiro tells Keisuke that he'll give him a chance to change the past. Jiro calls forth Castle Duran, which erupts from the ground, and they go inside of it. The two of them approach a door within the castle that Jiro calls the Door of Time. Jiro says that while the door is rarely allowed to be used... He made a promise to a certain someone to protect the BSO. Keisuke opens the door and is sucked into the past. And now, time travel is just a thing that Castle Duran could facilitate? Yes. This is just a thing now? Yeah, Castle Duran can send the user 22 years into the past. <sighs> it's great. By the way, no, uh, you... No, it's not great. The best part is, this is not, this isn't the one-off. This is something that's used multiple times. God damn it. Like, uh, you know how I mentioned last time we did a Kiva episode that after these episodes we can watch the movie? Yeah. That's because now you know about the time door. That's right. The movie has time travel. God. Keisuke materializes on top of a fence over a river in 1986 where Yuri and Otoya are walking along having finished some shopping. Yuri and Otoya spot Keisuke and assume that he's about to commit suicide. Otoya tries to stop him from jumping, but both of them fall into the river as Keisuke loses his balance. Keisuke regains consciousness at the Kurenai house. Yuri and Otoya greet him, and he asks them if, he's, if it's really 1986. Yuri confirms it and says that the day, August 10th, is a special day since it's the day that Otoya and herself will be moving in together. The lovebirds do that pinky promise thing, but Keisuke gets triggered by their lovey-dovey vibes and calls their arrangement impure. Keisuke is just the biggest busk. It's like... <laughs> I love him, because this is... He did the exact same thing to Mio and, and Wataru, being like, instead of dating, you should think about, you should think about and focus on how to better yourselves in the world. Uh -huh. Don't think such impure <laughs> Sorry. It's just that scene where it's just like, this is impure. <laughs> yeah. Also, Kind of interesting and sad that in the same two-parter where we find out that, uh, you know, Wataru is, uh, is, uh, Maya's, uh, child in this episode. Well, next episode, yeah. And 
It's it's interesting and sad that in these two episodes is when we see Atoya and Yuri like being all lovey-dovey. Back in 2008, Wataru is expressing concern for Keisuke and Kengo. Shisuke tells him that maybe he should direct his concern toward Kengo instead since he's the only friend he has ever made. Wataru corrects Shizuka by saying that he has another friend, though he hasn't seen them in a long time, and cue flashback. As Wataru says this, I'm like, W-Dog, Megami's your friend, and Keisuke is also kind of in there. I, I think you have more than Shizuka, Kengo, and this person you're talking about. Yeah, also, Shizuka basically is like, I'm not, I'm not actually your friend. Kengo's your only friend. <laughs> it's like, Shizuka, that's it. It's like, yeah, Kengo's the only friend you've ever made. Says the person who's been with you for literal years taking care of you. Uh-huh. In the flashback, we see Wataru as a kid getting bullied by some other kids. They pop his shoe onto a tree branch and taunt him a bit. Before they get much further, however, another kid comes up and pushes the bullies away. Little Wataru thanks this kid for the help and introduces himself. The kid, in turn, introduces himself as Taiga. Wataru reflects that Taiga was the first friend he ever made. I'm gonna say this, Wataru, like, was, wasn't was raised by either of his parents, so I'm just like... No, he was he was raised by Maya, wasn't he? Uh, he, he's been on his own for a long time, let's just say that. So, like, who the hell took him to the park? Was it Kivat? Did Kivat take him to the park and be like, alright, I'll sit in this tree and watch you? No, Wataru clearly had memories of his of Maya because he recalls Maya telling him about Otoya. The time the timeline is weird, especially with knowledge later. But like the timeline is weird. Like it's also one of those things where like the, that those twenty two years like doesn't really matter when the timeline shit happens. Just matters that it did to get us to two thousand eight. But also now, now I'm imagining Maya. Like, sitting on a bench, like, probably wearing, like, like you know, those, you know, big sunglasses that the sexy moms have. Just looking <laughs> over them at these bullies, uh, like, picking on Wataru and being like, well, I know who I'm killing tonight. The stained glass pattern appears on her face as she licks her lips. In 1986, Otoya is loitering and playing his violin, which magically brings a rose back to life. Uh, yeah, he is the... <laughs> Sorry, I just... Otoya is literally has magic violin powers. He has literal magic with how good his music is, completely unrelated to the Fangires or any of the demon races. And it's the funniest shit. As he finishes playing, the younger version of Tanahashi walks up and offers him a job playing for his model as he paints her portrait. Otoya tries declining, but Maya herself walks up and says that she'd like to hear more of Otoya's violin playing. The questions. Does Otoya remember what happened while he was amnesic? Does he recall that Maya impersonated Yuri? And does he even care? Uh, I, I don't think he remembers because, like, if he did, if he did, Yuri would have had a reaction to you know that event. Like, we we wouldn't have not seen Yuri being like, "Why the fuck did this fake ass hoe impersonate me in front of my man?" Outside of Tanahashi's atelier, 
Kisuke has snuck up in order to seize the 1986 Ikusa knuckle from its current user, since Tanahashi will be the epicenter of a battle between Ikusa and the Fangire that injures him. Yeah, and also Kisuke's like, I am a million times better than whatever fuckboy came before me. I'll, I'll just become Ikusa in 1986, and then as like a 50-year-old, I'll just fuck shit up in 2008. <laughs> as Kisuke does this, he spots a Fangire sneaking up, the Cicada Fangire. Uh, I, I, I believe you mean the dressing table grieving the half-brother's strange attitude? That's just word salad. Kisuke tries fighting the Cicada Fangire, but has to be saved by Otoya, who uses the Ikusa knuckle to blast the Fangire off of Kisuke. In 2008, Kengo is searching for Kisuke, but he gets ambushed by the Crab Fangire. Before the crab can do anything, though, Wataru comes running in and henshins into Kiva. Kiva fights the crab and gets cheered on by Kengo, who I guess tries to use bardic inspiration and plays a guitar riff. I mean, I think Kengo is just doing his own shit. <laughs> he, he's, he's just, as the children say, vibing. Yeah. However, Kiva gets coated in an acidic foam that the crab spits out and seemingly gets incapacitated. Before the crab can press the advantage, Tatsalot flies in and puts Kiva into emperor form. Tension fortissimo! Also, I will never get tired of emperor form. It's pretty good. Like, that, his cape, the, when he goes like, whoosh, and the cape like appears, it's good. It is. Kiva then beats the shit out of the crab. In 1986, Ixa repels the Cicada Fangire, Otoya dehenshins, and Keisuke expresses shock that Otoya is Common Rider Ixa of 1986. Keisuke demands that he hand over the Ixa knuckle, and we end the episode with a freeze frame of Keisuke throwing a punch at Otoya. And that's the synopsis for 27. So, who was your Rider of the Week? Mmm, Kengo. Alright. I mean, he, he's just here, he's, you know... He's like, hey, Keisuke, I'm going to help you out with the cops. He sees Kiva fighting a crab and is like, all right, this is rock and roll. Yeah, he's here. He's going to cheer. Yeah, he's here. He's probably queer. He's going to play that bass. Indeed. Uh, my writer of the week's Taiga. We only saw him for a couple minutes, but I always respect a kid who will stand up to bullies. It's refreshing. Also, like, it's obvious we're going to see Taiga, you know, like... This is, this is, you know, set up for, yeah, in a few episodes we're going to meet uh, Watsuru's childhood friend. And I, I think it's cool that they, you know, bring him up, like, several episodes before we meet him. Because, you know, that way it doesn't come out of left field. Opinion. That's fine. Uh, did you give your monster of the week? Uh, no, um, it's going to be uh, Tanahashi. As, as, much, as much as I like this episode, these episodes more than you... Uh, Tanahashi sucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, my monster of the week is anyway, because, God, I, I, spoiler alert, kids, anyway's my monster of the week for both of these episodes. I did not care for this. But, yeah, I'll go ahead and move us to the tarot corner. Uh, I'm giving the upright re wheel of fortune to this episode in general. According to incandescenttarot.com, the wheel of fortune represents... Change, chance, the whims of the universe, cycles, and fate. And I guess that fits a time travel episode pretty well. Uh, what's your episode rating? 
Uh, I'm gonna give it a six out of ten. Like, as as much as as much as I gave you a bit of ribbing like earlier about, no, this episode isn't you know horrible. It it's pretty average at best. Like, I don't think it's the most. I don't think it's like worse than average. I don't think it's a, like exactly average because there are some parts I really like. Megami being dragged away by the cops. Uh, Keisuke being like, living together is immoral. I will not stand for this sin. Yeah, but that was funny. And, and, I, and I, I, well, maybe not Megami, but at least Keisuke's bits were kind of funny in an ironic way. I don't think if they were trying to do something and play it straight, I don't think they succeeded. My episode ratings three out of ten. This episode was a fever dream. The pacing was way too fast. There was too much shoved in and not enough time spent developing it. Tanihashi's vendetta against the BSO was stupid. There's this was just bad. Uh, how would you rate these episodes against the lawyer episodes? I think the lawyer episodes were like twenty uh, percent better. Ooh, that's a disagreement on my part. I think the lawyer episodes were worse. Because I, I can understand a person mis, mis, like misattributing a target of revenge. But I can't stand the idea of these uh, people who didn't listen to those episodes. A lawyer, a lawyer, decides to sue Kern Ayotoya in 2008. What's her? Uh, what? No, no, he... Okay, technically, she, uh, technically she's suing Wataru, but she's actually suing him. Because of stuff Otoya did, yeah. Which, not how that works. And also what she was suing him for was not crimes, or defamation of character, or anything that can be... Con one of the fucking... One of the fucking things she was suing him for was that Otoya was gambling... Paid off his gambling debt with music, and then another guy lost his money afterwards. That is not how anything works. No, it is not. Adam? Mm hmm? Give me any justification for suing someone for you losing at gambling after they play the violin. I, I, I'm not. Yeah, see, at least you can say Tanahashi is, like, obsessive and, and blame the wrong person for this, but... Mm. That was just bad. That lawyer episode is bad. Well, yeah, it's bad. I just think this is worse, but... You're wrong, okay. All right, so episode 28, Request Time-Altering Battle. Uh, yes, this came out August 17th, 2008. Written by Toshiki Inoue, directed by Takeo Nagaishi. Lup. We begin with Otoya catching Keisuke's punch. Otoya asks Keisuke how he knows about Ixa's existence, and Keisuke just flat out tells Otoya that he came from the future and is a member of the BSO. Honestly, mad respect for just telling the truth. And also, I love that Otoya is just, just clowns on Keisuke, pretty much. Everyone clowns on Keisuke. <laughs> yeah, but like, at the very least, he's like meant to be a good fighter. But Otoya's just like, eh, whatever. After the OP, we cut to Cafe Maldemore, where Keisuke is telling Shima's 1986 counterpart, along with Yuri, the same thing he just told Otoya. They are naturally quite skeptical of this. In 2008, Shima, still incarcerated, is telling Wataru and Kengo that the whole situation might be signaling the final days of the BSO. 
You know, you know what would be interesting if, like, uh, like apparently the way they decided time travel works, it, changes don't come into play until after you return from your trip to the past. Uh huh. And like, but imagine if like uh, Shima is you know talking to Wataru and Kengo and like then look then sits up and is like, wait, I just remembered something. Keisuke in 1986. And like they figure out that Keisuke's in the past, but uh-huh. that, that's just an idea I thought would be neat. Kingo protests Shima's defeatist attitude and finally introduces himself to Shima as Keisuke's pupil. Which might be technically true because Keisuke has stopped saying no, but also that projects a very different image of Kengo than what Kengo actually is. It, yeah. it, it gives an implication of being good in a fight. Uh-huh. Knowing that Fangires are still at large, Shima then appoints Wataru and Kengo as temporary BSO agents. This Shima, like, I know Shima had literally, first of all, apparently there are only two combat-ready um, agents in the Blue Sky organization. And also, he decided to entrust the future of humanity to a person who's, as far as he knows, an incredibly soft boy who is unable to harm a fly, and Kengo, whose skill includes slightly above average guitar playing and organizing <laughs> group dates. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a useful skill set, you know? Uh, Kengo is enthusiastic about this appointment, but Wataru seems taken aback, probably because he's actually Kiva. In Castle Doran, the arms monsters speculate a bit about whether Keisuke will be able to successfully change the past. That's it. It's not a very... It's just padding, I think. In 1986, Maya is continuing her modeling for Tanahashi as Otoya plays his violin in the background. Maya states that she believes the only thing of value in the world is art. But before she can go on a pseudo-philosophical tirade... Tanahashi's doorbell rings. You know, we get more later, but Maya's so interesting as a character. Like, she she very much is like an eldritch abomination who's fascinated by humans and just like is trying bit by bit to understand them. I think it absolutely is because she, her job in the Checkmate 4 is to... Police the interactions between fingers and humans. She's the person exposed to this love in this culture the most out of the, like, high-ranking Fangire. And I just think that's... Maya's just interesting. Tanahashi answers the door, and we see that Keisuke is there. K-Dog has a Terminator moment in which he says that he has come from the future to protect Tanahashi. Huh. Keisuke, K-Dog, Kyle Reese, huh. Back in Tanahashi's atelier... Otoya tells Maya that this is the first time he's been so lucky to meet a woman who understands art. In a weird sort of display of faux pity, Maya asks Otoya if that means no one up until this point has ever understood him. I wonder if maybe it wasn't, you know, faux pity. Maya, you know, Maya just said the only thing she believes to be of worth among the humans is uh, art. Like, and Otoya is just saying that you know, if this is the first time I've met anyone who understands that, like, she, uh, basically, Otoya just said, yeah, no one among me has ever understood anything of value, according to, you know, Maya's principles right now. 
Uh-huh. So I, I wonder if maybe that's like actual pity she has for him. Maybe, yeah. Maya then hands the violin over to Otoya and asks, and asks him to play some more. Otoya obliges, but partway into the song, Keisuke busts in and again demands that Otoya hand over Iksa. Imagine if Kengo accidentally Marnie McFly to uh, Wataru by just constantly interrupting moments between Maya and uh, Otoya being like, give me the knuckle. Otoya is just walking down the street with hand in hand with Yuri and, and Keisuke just pops out of a garbage can saying, give me the knuckle. Give me the knuckle and your button. It's like Majima and Kiryu. Yeah. <laughs> Keisuke notices Maya and sees that she's the same woman whose unfinished portrait was sitting in Tanahashi's 2008 atelier. Maya slaps Keisuke in the face and reprimands him for interrupting Otoya's music. And that's when Keisuke discovered he was a sub. It's the first time he ever had a boner. Well, no, the second time. The first time is when he drove his father to suicide. Ah. Maya leaves the atelier, but Keisuke follows her. Maya disappears into some convenient mist, and Keisuke wonders to himself what he was hoping to accomplish in following her. I think maybe Maya just summons the mist around herself. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure this is like the fifth time she's disappeared into mist. She could probably do it, uh, given how much power she seems to have. Otoya comes walking up and asks Keisuke if he's enamored with Maya. Kisuke denies this and again demands Iksa. In a rather cartoonish moment, Otoya opens his violin case, and a spring-loaded boxing glove pops out and knocks Kisuke flat. That, that, that moment alone probably ups this episode like two points. It did. It upped it by one for me. <laughs> Where's this violin? I don't... He's got... Uh, I don't... I wouldn't be surprised if Latoya has secret caches of, like, gag <laughs> violin cases all around the city. I'm sure he does. Otoya tells Keisuke that he'll never win against him because he's too serious. Otoya then suggests that Keisuke should try falling in love, that understanding human emotion would make him stronger. That's uh, similar to what uh, Shimo was getting at the last two episodes. You know, being like, if you acknowledge your weakness, like, if you open yourself up, you'll become stronger. Yeah, if you sort of develop some sort of sense of humility, yeah. If you develop what is known as the human soul. Uh-huh. Uh. Then Keisuke would start asking, does this unit have a soul? No, Keisuke. You, no, that, th this unit over here, this beautiful piece of metal and machinery, who I love and will do anything for... He has a soul. You, Keisuke, you do not. Indeed. Mass Effect Legendary Edition's out, guys. You should all get it if you haven't played it. Like, I love Legion. Oh, he's, a, he's such a good little fanboy robot. Like, what Legion does for the conflict is so amazing. And then add into the fact that he's so just well-written. It's like, good. It's like Chef Kiss. Like, it's that meme of, uh... The dad from Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, it's just good times, guys. My spec's great. Anyway, uh, in 2008, Wataru and Kengo have both been issued those crossbow guns like what Megami uses, and they're using them for target practice. And that's just, just some more padding, I guess, so they know 
so we know that they know how to use those things. And also because it's cute seeing our boys like that. Another time zition to 86, and Keisuke approaches Yuri. K diddle dandy tries gut-punching Yuri, presumably with the intent of taking her hostage so he can get Iksa from Otoya, but she catches his fist and slaps him. At this point, Keisuke is just going around punching everyone and being like, maybe if I punch enough people, I can get the Iksa knuckle. Yeah. In Maldemore, Otoya is enjoying an Rice. Boss finishes a phone call and relays to Otoya that Yuri has been kidnapped, and I'm like, how, though? She, we just saw Yuri just own him. I, I think at that point, Keisuke just kept on getting up and being like, I'm going to kidnap you. And eventually she's like, you know what? Fuck it. Fine. At this point, I'm tired. Like, my knuckles are bleeding from digging into your face so much. Like, just kidnap me so I can sit down for a bit. On a related note, I do kind of like that gremlin voice you're giving Keisuke. <laughs> It, it, have you ever seen any uh, Jack and Dean sketches? I do not know who they are. Uh, they're a British comedy duo. They had this uh, skit called The Goblin, where realtors showing people a house and there's a goblin under the cupboard. And he's just trying to sell the house despite the goblins there being like, Lips! Give me your lips! <laughs> and just like, think of him like a roommate. He'll do the dishes. Will you? No. <laughs> it's a good skit. I, I'll send it to you later. I'll have to look that up. If, yeah. Uh, Otoya finds Keisuke and Yuri. Yuri is bound in handcuffs, and Keisuke is weirdly predatory toward her as Ye Otoya comes running in. Like, Keisuke's got his arms extended, like old-timey Bella Lugosi, Dracula, or black-and-white Phantom of the Opera. Like, he's... <laughs> Like an old-timey Universal movie monster. It's so weird. Just a normal Tuesday night for, for Keisuke. Otoya seemingly capitulates to Keisuke's demand for Iksa, but Yuri unbinds herself, catches the Iksa knuckle in mid-flight, and tosses it back to Otoya. Both Yuri and Otoya then gut-punch Keisuke simultaneously, but somehow Maya comes onto the scene. I mean, honestly, she was probably stalking Otoya. Yeah. Maya tenderly tells Otoya to stop and that his hands aren't for hurting others. Yuri interrupts and drags Otoya off. When Otoya teasingly asks Yuri if she's jealous, she bluntly says yes, all the while Keisuke is knocked out senseless. Man, this is so interesting because I'm pretty sure this is the first time Otoya's ever been in a relationship in general. And so this is probably the first time he's ever had to seriously deal with jealousy. Huh. Yeah. Like, this is the first time his partner being jealous is something that he cares about. Yeah. Later, Keisuke regains consciousness and sees that Maya is still there. Maya asks Keisuke why he had been following her earlier and if it was because Keisuke was in love with her. Maya tries asking Keisuke about love but he denies being the kind of person who does that kind of thing. Yeah, Keisuke's like, I do not love. The only thing I get horny for is justice and, and buttons. buttons. Yep. Jinx. Seeing as how her research project won't make any progress by questioning this man, Maya starts walking off. Before she gets far, however, Keisuke offers her a memento, the first button he ever collected in his bounty hunting career one that has a crown design on it. Maya accepts the button, 
But the Sakata Fangire comes out, and having apparently appointed himself some sort of HR manager for the entire Fangire race, questions Maya about why she's modeling for a human painting instead of carrying out her duties as queen. I mean, chances are the Cicada Fangire probably, like, had a friend or, or knew somebody who, you know, fell in love with the human. It's like, well, then the queen got to him, and it sucked. So, like, seeing queen doing something that's basically a punishable offense probably gets his, uh, probably grinds his gears. I don't think it is punishable, though. I think this is this isn't all that unusual for Fengires to daylight as humans or to have relation, not necessarily romantic relationships, but I don't know, maybe just regular casual social relationships with humans. Like some of them own are lawyers. One of them owned a clothing boutique. Yeah, but like what, what, what she's doing, like in particular, especially being the queen, like I, I, I feel, you know, puts a lot more weight into every action she does. That's fair. And, yeah. and I'm sure, I'm sure, like looking at it, the intent, the intent can be, you know, at least partially gleaned from her behavior. Kisuke is taken aback that Maya is actually a fangire. Maya then walks off and goes poof into a cloud of black rose petals. Kisuke then says, "Goodbye, Goodbye my first love." And I'm face palming so hard right now. Hey, love is love. I mean, I fell in love with Maya the minute I saw her, and she didn't even slap me. <laughs> I don't know. This seems to... Don't yuck my yum. No, I'm yucking Keisuke's. <laughs> okay, you can yuck Keisuke's yum, because he kind of deserves it. Keisuke's quote-unquote love for Maya is just... I don't know. It seems to be indi indicative of uh, how emotionally undeveloped he is. If he's just got this puppy love going for this mysterious, beautiful woman that he met like a couple hours ago. I, I kind of liked it, but I can see that it was rushed, you know? Back in 2008, since the organization dedicated to fighting Fangires is a wee bit understaffed. Yeah, it lost all three of its employees. Yeah, the crab Fangire is rampaging freely. Kengo and Wataru come and fight it with their crossbows, seemingly forcing it to flee. And back in 1986, in Tanahashi's atelier, Maya is continuing to serve as a model. She asks Tanahashi where Otoya might be, and he goes out to look for him. However, Keisuke is continuing to snoop around with the intent of protecting Tanahashi. Honestly, if I was Keisuke, I would just break the fucker's neck. That may actually be the, be the best course of action, at least from, at least when considered from Keisuke's point of view. Yeah, make it look like a suicide, just like his father. The Sakata Fangire swoops in and declares that he'll kill Tanahashi so that his queen will resume her duties. Otoya rushes, runs in, or Otoya runs in and henshins into Iksa and starts fighting the Cicada. Partway into the fight, the Cicada takes Tanahashi hostage. Iksa gears up to shoot a kinetic blast at the Fengire, but Keisuke notices that this is the moment where Tanahashi's grudge was born, and tackles Iksa, seizing the Iksa knuckle. Apparently is just stone cold, ready to shoot through the hostage. I don't know, it seemed that he was... From what we saw, it seemed that Otoya was confident that in his ability to just headshot the Fengire. I, I, I'm just making a joke. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. 
Honestly, like un- until we get to the end reveal, I don't really have much to say about the rest of this episode. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, once Keisuke's taken the Ikusa knuckle, he shoots a weaker kinetic blast toward the cicada, prompting it to throw Tadahashi aside and to retreat. Satisfied that the past has been changed, Keisuke then deme- dematerializes and gets thrown out of thrown out of the door of time back into Castle Doran. Jiro congratulates Keisuke for having averted the circumstances leading up to the BSO basically being disbanded, but he notes that the Sakata Fangire, who would have otherwise been defeated in 1986, is still alive in 2008. We now cut to the alter to an altered timeline version of the of the Crab Fangire's rampage. Megami, having never been arrested in this new timeline, shoots at the Fangire as Kengo backs her up. Also, I love that in this timeline, instead of Ken- Kengo joining because, you know, everyone's arrested, instead it's just like, where the fuck is Keisuke? Where's Ixa? And it's just because he got pulled out of time for a second to fuck with reality. Yeah. Like, do you think he explained that? Do you think afterwards, uh, Shimo's like, hey, listen, Keisuke. A guy in a suit who smelled like a dog invited me into a dragon castle and put me through a door where I met your mother. Keisuke, you can just say you decided to skip work. You know that, right? Also, do you think Shima now remembers Kengo? It's like, do you think like a couple days later, he's like, oh, this must be when Kengo went back in time. Keisuke? Keisuke, I mean. Sorry. Names are so hard. Wataru discreetly henshines into Kiva and helps Kengo and Megami in their fight. But before they can finish off the crab, the cicada comes to his fellow's rescue. Kiba is now being double teamed by the two arthropodic Fengires. So yeah, ap- apparently in this uh, altered timeline, the uh, cicada never died. So yeah. apparently he sit- stuck around and become just bros with the crab. Pretty much. Fortunately, Keisuke comes in and henshins into rising Ixa. Ixa defeats the Cicada Fangire with a sustained charge plasma blast, sort of like, if you played Super Smash Brothers, sort of like Samus Aran's final smash. So good. I, I, I really like rising form. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And then he delivers a rider kick, shattering the Cicada Fangire. Kiva goes into emperor form and uses Garlu Fever to create a double-bladed plasma sword, much like Darth Maul's lightsaber, with which he slashes the crab Bangire into oblivion. Emperor form is so cool. It's great. That evening in Cafe Maldemore, Wataru has just had some dinner. He pulls out his wallet to pay boss, but in classic Wataru fashion, he drops his yen coins. Keisuke sitting next to all of this notices that among the coins there's a familiar button the same one he gifted to maya in fact when keisuke asks wataru what this is wataru tells him that it's a keepsake from his mother dun 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 yep also do you, do you think what do you think like this has happened before like in the new timeline uh wataru accidentally spills his wallet and Casey's like hey what's with this button i like buttons too and, like, because he didn't have the time travel knowledge, like, he didn't know it was his? I don't think that's happened. No, I think this is the first time Keisuke would have seen Watar drop coins and a button. Uh, but yeah, we cut to a space that looks like the interior of Castle Doran. It's probably the same film set, but it's 
I guess it's a different location in the universe. There, an infant is sitting on a throne. Bishop is kneeling before this this child and says, Taiga-sama, your mother is here. None other than Maya comes walking up, and she lovingly picks the child up, and so ends the episode. That's right, half-brother's time. Yep, Wataru and Taiga are maternal half-brothers, oh my god! Uh, oh man, I, it's good, it's good, I, I like that twist. I, I liked it too, yes, I will admit that. Also, confirmation now that Wataru is half-fangire. Uh-huh. Uh, that is the interior of Castle Duran. It's not another location. Oh, weird. Yeah. So the Fangires, I guess the Checkmate 4 used it as a as a headquarters before the arms monsters? I mean, at this point, pretty much just Bishop and Queen. King's just doing fuck knows what. And, huh. and, uh, and, uh, God, that. Rook. And Rook is kind of just living his best murder hobo life. Yeah. But I think I think they're supposed to live in Castle Duran. Huh. But yeah, my I'll go ahead and give my writer of the week. Uh it's the boxing glove that came out of Otoya's violin case. I was gonna give it to Maya because I liked a lot of her lines about love, but I'm gonna switch it to the boxing glove. Yeah. Uh what's your monster of the week? Toshki in a way. This time travel plot was just bad. Keisuke could have undergone a a semi-decent character arc where it was revealed that he was the one originally responsible for Tanahashi's coma and his subsequent grudge. Such a revelation could have actually instilled some humility into him with the with actual tangible proof that he isn't as perfect as he thinks. Instead, we get some half-assed lecturing about having a playful heart and that's somehow supposed to change Keisuke as a character. Uh, my monster, I don't really, have, I think I'm going to give it to a Tanahashi again. Should have just, instead of saving him, you know? Huh. To the tarot corner, where, oops, all towers, because this was a disaster. It's <laughs> good. Uh, what is your episode rating? Four out of ten. The episode's few saving graces were in the fight scene at the end, along with the interesting reveal that Maya's Wataru's mother and that Taiga is his paternal half-brother. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give this a seven. Like, honestly, talking about it, yeah, these episodes kind of suck. But I, I love anything to do with Maya, and like just hearing her philosophy on art and stuff like that, I, I like. And, you know, learning, of course, you know, what she's Wataru's mom, confirmed. Wataru has a brother who... Also, this this was another reason I was like, who took Wataru to the park? Because apparently Maya just didn't recognize her other child. There's a lot of stuff I don't know yet, but this may have actually... This first meeting might have actually been something Maya engineered if she wanted her sons to know each other. So yeah, I'm I'm giving it a solid seven just because I like I I like meeting Taiga, even if it's as a baby. Well we saw Bishop again. Apparently Bishop's job in the Checkmate 4 is to babysit uh Taiga. Yeah. Like cause that's all we really see him doing. It's either babysitting Taiga or telling a person to go murder. Yeah. Mia wasn't in these episodes, I just Yeah, she wasn't. Huh. That's true. I miss her. 
I miss her already as well. This wasn't a good episode. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I, I kind of just instinctually said, no, it's not bad, but... <laughs> Vindication. <laughs> Did you just eat a salad full of helium before you said that? No, that was that was me doing my my imp cackle. Impressive. <laughs> where can they find you, Adam Bear? Yes, where they where you can find us. You can find us at double underscore common on Twitter. You can also find the podcast proper at Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, iTunes, and a bunch of others. Anchor, when I say in the ad, is the best place to, to do a podcast is indeed the best place because they distribute you everywhere. Uh, other than that, you can find me at, at Pokemon Primeval. It's another podcast I do with some friends. We play tabletop settings that basically posit what the world of Pokemon would be like across different eras. We're in Season 2, Apocalypse Now, in which we sort of envision what the world of Pokemon would be like if it burned down in what might have been nuclear fire. Yeah, but we're trying to put the world back together. It's kind of like what if a Pokemon RPG campaign was set in the uh, XD region. XD region? Basically, it's based off of Nevada, i.e. the closest we have now to a post-apocalyptic wastelands. Right. Okay. Other than that, that's this and that are what I do on the internet. Uh, for me, I will not tell you where to find me. However, over the next 30 days, I will put clues on the Twitter, and the first to find my location will be written in my will as my successor. <laughs> Come and find me. Skeletor? Is that you? How did you find out my true identity? That was only able to be found out by clue number 16. <laughs> I, you have a very distinctive cackle. No! I just realized my name's Adam. No! You are recovering your lost memories, Adam! No! Oh, curses! This entire but, plan has been for naught! By the power of Skull, I have the power! Oh god, the people I live with are probably just freaking out right now. Well, of course I, they are! You just grew two feet and gained a hundred pounds of muscle! Not to mention the sword you're waving around! Anyway... Let, let's henshin out of here, Skeletor. Yes! Let us henshin before our final battle, He-Man! Hing! Uh, Shane. <laughs>